Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. What happens after we die? We either go to be with the Lord, with Him, in His kingdom forever, or we're separated from Him. Not because God wants anybody to be separated from Him, but because we choose to be separated and He honors our choice. So everyone can believe and be saved. But God, of course, knows that not everyone will be saved. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 34, in a message titled, The Authority of Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Brian. It's either God created or it all came about through natural processes. It's either God or what we would commonly refer to as evolution. So listen to what he says. He says, spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago. But that leads us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. And now here's the punchline. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible that life arose spontaneously by chance. So this guy, Harvard University biochemist, Nobel laureate, says this is a philosophical debate. It is not a scientific debate. We can't accept this on philosophical grounds. He's basically just saying, I just don't believe there's a God. And although this other thing is impossible, it's got to be that because it can't be this because my worldview doesn't allow for that. But Jesus says in the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So Jesus tells us how we got here. God created us. And notice he says God created them male and female, which also is extremely relevant statement in the current climate, but we won't talk about that today. We'll move on to our next point. So what is the meaning and purpose in life? You know, what, what is life about? And this is a question that I think is buried under the surface of every single person's conscience. In our subconscious, this is something that's there. It's, it's, it's gnawing away at us. What, what is our purpose? Why, you know, why am I here? What, is, what does life mean? And like I said earlier, I remember as a teenager, these things were in the back of my mind. They, they bothered me. I, I, I wanted to know because I felt like, you know, something just doesn't make sense. I, I, these are things that I, I need answers to. And that's true with, I think, lots and lots of people still today. So what is the meaning and purpose of life? Well, again, Jesus answered that in this gospel here, Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31, this is what Jesus said. He said, the first of all the commandments is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he added, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says, this is, this is the meaning of life. The meaning of life is knowing God, loving God, obeying God, serving God. That, that's what life is about. Now, once again, we have plenty of conflicting voices in the culture, right? There are philosophers in the culture that would say, no, 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 life, you know, life doesn't really have a meaning. 
You know, it's interesting because much of philosophy that has forever been trying to figure out what life is about, much of modern philosophy has come to the conclusion that there is no meaning or purpose in life. But you know, I just absolutely refuse to accept that. Even if I wasn't a Christian, I would refuse to accept that because everything inside me says, no, that's not true. Everything inside me says, no, there's, there's got to be some meaning. There's got to be some purpose to life. Well, again, Jesus said that there is. Life is about knowing God. Philosopher says, no, nah, life is meaningless. You know, celebrities might say something like, no, well, you know, life is about being famous. Life is about enjoying yourself, pleasure. Um, they might not put it in those exact words, but that's pretty much what they have concluded by the way they live. Maybe if you look into the realm of psychology, you might find that the psychologist would say, well, you know, life is about discovering who you are and, and loving yourself and all of that. And so the, these are the different voices. And when a person asks the question, what is life about? You're going to get a variety of different answers. But Jesus spoke to this with these words. Life is about knowing God. Think about that. That's, that's what life is about. You are here. I am here primarily to know God. That's why we're here. And as long as we live our lives outside of the primary purpose for our existence, that is going to be frustrating. That is going to lead to emptiness. That is going to cause us to live in, a, in like a state of, of futility. It's only when we come to know personally why we're here and the one that we were made for, that's when life makes sense. I love the way J.I. Packer put it in his classic book, Knowing God. He said this. He said, once you become aware that the main business you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. The world today is full of sufferers from the wasting disease known as absurdism. Absurdism is life's a bad joke. To many, everything becomes at once a problem and a bore because nothing seems worthwhile. What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has for what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know to love, and to serve God. Man, that's it. What, what is the problem in life? The problem in life is like, you know, like, like he said, uh, absurdism is just that idea that everything is at once a problem and a bore. There, there's nothing worthwhile. And this is where you eventually go in life. You keep trying to find a cause, something that's bigger than yourself, something to, to bring significance and meaning, and you want to dedicate yourself to that. But you know, there's a point where it just, it runs out. God is the reason we're here. We are here to know God and to have a relationship with him. And so when Jesus is asked that question, you know, what is the most important, it's the commandment. What is the first and the great commandment? What is the most important thing in life? He said, knowing God, that's the most important thing in life. And then thirdly, this is a huge question that everybody has hidden somewhere in their hearts. What is in store for the future? What does the future hold? I mean, isn't that what we all want to know? You know, what is the future going to be like? 
What's going to happen in the future? What's going to happen in the bigger picture of the world? What's going to happen more personally in my life? Well, the Bible definitely tells us about the future. The Bible is the one book that tells the future with 100% accuracy. There's nothing else in the world that does anything like that. There's no uh, you know, person that you're going to go to, some sort of a fortune teller or somebody that's going to you know, read your tarot cards or any of that kind of stuff that's going to tell you, hey, you know, this is what's going to happen. No, it, d- it doesn't work. God himself says that he alone knows the future. And he tells us about the future. And I want to talk about the future in the, in the bigger sense. And this is what Jesus said. In answer to the question, what's in store for the future? Jesus said this, but in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. Then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Jesus said that the future ultimately is about him and about his coming back to set up God's kingdom in this world. Now, we are here today, and we are here because the prophetic word about Jesus has been partially fulfilled. See, it's been partially fulfilled because the prophets told of the Messiah who would come, and the, the main picture of the Messiah is that he would come and fix the world. He would, he would make the world back to what God intended it to be. Just simply, he would make it into a glorious, wonderful paradise. Now, one of the reasons why Jewish people who have expectation for a Messiah say Jesus isn't the Messiah is because he didn't do that. Okay, you guys say Jesus is the Messiah. He came and went. How come the world's such a mess still? Because we know that the Messiah is going to fix the problems of the world. Well, they're right and they're wrong. (laughs) Yes, the Messiah is going to fix the problems of the world. But what they missed out on is that the first part of that fixing had to do with dealing with the root of the problem, which is sin and Satan. And that's what Jesus did in his first coming. So most of the prophecies in the Bible... Actually, the majority of prophecies speak of the second coming of Christ, but there's a small handful of prophecies that speak of what we would know now as his first coming. And those prophecies tell us that he would come and he would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. God was basically going to make his soul an offering for sin. And that's what happened. But again, the, the hope, the messianic hope, That's the foundation of it. But the real messianic hope is is that Christ is going to come again. So, of course, there are people today who would say, you know, that's a joke. Jesus is not going to return. Jesus was, who was Jesus? He was just this guy that lived and died. Or some people say he never even lived. But certainly Jesus is not coming again. They might say, you know, Christians have been saying this stuff for centuries. It's never going to happen. And they would go on, you know, the world is going to continue to evolve upward socially, technologically, scientifically, morally. You know, one day it's going to be perfect. People today call themselves progressives, meaning that we're making progress. We're moving forward. There's a better world ahead. Well, there is a better world ahead. It's just not the one they're envisioning. There's a better world ahead with Jesus in charge. 
with Jesus running the show. That's when it's going to be its ultimate because he said that he is going to come again. So someone says out there, maybe even you, you say, well, Jesus isn't coming again. Well, he said he is. So you got to argue with him about that. He said he's going to come again. And you either believe that or you don't. Now, interestingly, though, just like prophecy told us, you know, that he would come into the world, prophecy also, there are also prophecies that tell us what the world is going to look like in the process of waiting for him to return, and prophecies that tell us what the world is going to uh, look like at the time that his coming is near. And guess what? The world looks an awful lot like what the Bible says it would look like. And one of the key components, again, no time to go into it, but one of the key components in all of this is the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. You know, somebody said this, and I think it's absolutely true. One of the great proofs that there is a God are the Jewish people. It's hard to explain the Jewish people without the existence of a God. The only people ever in all of history scattered throughout the whole world, and for 2,000 years at that, and then to be brought back into their homeland. And that's exactly what the prophets said would happen. And here's another irony. The people who came to restore the state of Israel didn't do it because they read the Bible and said, you know, the prophecies say this is going to happen, so we got to go do it. These people were atheists. They just simply said, we got to have a place to live where people aren't trying to kill us all the time. So our history originated in this place. Let's go back there. But God has used all of those things. So what does the future hold? Well, the future is ultimately that Christ is going to return and he's going to set up that long-awaited kingdom. And your future is radically wrapped up in that reality because your future is really dependent on your relationship with him. If you're connected with him through faith, then that future that he will establish, you have a part of that. If you're not connected with him, if you reject him, then you don't have a part with that future. But if you want to know about the future, that's what's coming. When is it coming exactly? We don't know, but it will come. Finally, so our final point here, huge question, a question everybody asks at some time or another, what happens after we die? Now, everybody ask this question. Anybody who doesn't ask this question isn't thinking because obviously everybody's going to die. You know, there are people though that say, oh, I don't want to think about that. No, I don't, I don't care. You know, I'm not worried about that. I'm just going to live right now. Just enjoy myself. Doesn't matter what happens after I die. Well, you might think that for a while, but you know, there, there is a point that that question will arise undoubtedly. But once again, guess who answered that question? Jesus answered that question. And Jesus said this in Mark 16, 16. He said, whoever believes the gospel will be saved, but whoever does not believe the gospel will be condemned. So what happens after you die? Jesus says you're either saved or you're not saved. Now, some of you might remember back around Easter time. It was actually on Easter Sunday. I was talking about the resurrection on Easter Sunday, which is what you talk about on Easter Sunday. And I was uh, sharing 
that in the course of my preparation, I had gone through literally hundreds of quotes from people going back, you know, 3,500 years in history regarding death. And maybe you remember, one of the things that absolutely astounded me is as I read through, you know, page after page after page after page of people talking about death, the one thing I concluded is that no one knows what they're talking about. It's obvious. Everybody's just guessing. But in these hundreds of quotes I read on death, there were a few quotes actually from Jesus about death. And every time I read a quote from Jesus, I thought, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. You know, he says, I am he who is dead. I'm alive. Nobody else said that. So Jesus is speaking again with that kind of authority. And, and what does he say? Whoever believes the gospel will be saved. And whoever does not believe the gospel will be condemned. So that, that's the answer. What happens after we die? We either go to be with the Lord, with him, in his kingdom forever, or we're separated from him. Not because God wants anybody to be separated from him, but because we choose to be separated and he honors our choice. So everyone can believe and be saved. But God, of course, knows that not everyone will be saved. And that, that is, it's so sad. It's so tragic. You know, to think of a person who right to the very end just says, no, I don't need that. I'm okay. I'm good. It's going to be good. Jesus said, it's not going to be good. You're going to be, you're going to be separated. And that's really, you know, what heaven and hell are. Heaven is God's presence for eternity. Hell is outside of God's presence for eternity. And being outside of God's presence means that you are away from everything that is of God, and you're, you're not only away from everything that is of God, but you are there without hope of any reversal of that. You know, some people say, well, hey, of course there's a hell. We're living in it today. This is hell. And there are places on earth that you, certainly there are places and circumstances that you might look at and say, no, man, that's hell right there. Well, as bad as that might be, that's not hell. You know why? Because there's still, anywhere here on earth, there's still something good that is connected to God and what he's made and, you know, all, all of that. It, there's still something there and there's still hope. But hell is that place where none of that is there and there's no hope. And people go to one place or the other by their own choice. But Jesus, of course, says that he intends and hopes that all will believe. Whoever believes the gospel will be saved. What is the gospel really quickly? The gospel is this, that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. We're sinners. We've all sinned. Some have sinned in ways that are obvious to everybody and horrible. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that person did that. And some people are sin in ways that people wouldn't even see, but God sees it. We're all sinners. And when the Bible says that Christ died for our sins, it means that he died to pay the penalty for our sins because our sins separate us from God. Jesus died to pay that penalty. But he didn't only die, he also rose again from the dead so we could be justified or we could be made righteous. And he gives life to all who turn to him in faith. So this is the amazing thing. 
Jesus gives life to all that turn to him by faith. He gives us life. It's, it's just his gift to us. And it's eternal life. And eternal life extends on out forever. But it starts right now. It starts right now with coming to know God like we talked about. The, the purpose of life. What am I doing here? I'm here to know God. I'm here to know the one who made me. How do I get into that? I get into that by believing the gospel. And listen, as you can see, with no ambiguity and no uncertainty, Jesus answered life's most vital questions. You know, the thing that you will see about Jesus is Jesus never, never says things like this. Well, you know, let me think about that for a moment. Uh, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> Jesus never says, you know, I'm not sure, but... It might be like this. Jesus never says that kind of stuff. You know, we say that stuff all the time. It, it kind of, I find it kind of humorous when I read, you know, I like to read articles and things by, you know, people in the scientific community talking about how certain we are that we evolved and all of that. And it, it always, the language always cracks me up, though. It's like, well, you know, perhaps this happened and maybe it went like this. And then we think that it could have, it's like, there's so much uncertainty in that terminology. Jesus never, ever ever did that. He just made these authoritative statements. He said it. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to reword it. He didn't have to go back and correct it. With no ambiguity, no uncertainty, Jesus answered life's most vital questions. Those answers that he gave are true for all time, all people, and all places. These are universal truths. They're true for everyone, everywhere, all the time. And it is amazing. You know, one of the things I was telling somebody earlier today, one of the things that, that's kind of just happening right now for me, for some reason, I just keep coming across these stories of God's intervention into people's lives that, that is so powerful. And the thing about it that's really just astounding me today is how in, in these particular stories I'm hearing, it's like God is circumventing even people. He, he's not even necessarily using people primarily. He's just going right for the person directly. And, and I'm just hearing story after story about these like God encounters and from people all around the world in all different kinds of circumstances, with all different kinds of backgrounds, from all different kinds of religions, beliefs, or even unbeliefs. And, and he's just doing that because that's what he does. Because his word is for everyone. And it's absolutely certain for everyone. And so you can rest assured today, you know, sometimes, you know, as, as a preacher or a teacher, and I know other guys struggle with this. You know, sometimes you feel like, you know, I got to convince everybody and man, I just wish I could do a better job with that. And then I stop and remember, well, you know, the truth of the matter is that Jesus is alive and well, and I just do my best and trust him for the rest. He can meet you right where you're at. He can speak right to you. He can show you things that you need to be shown. Those deep things in your heart and mind that nobody knows but you, guess what? He knows them too. 
and he will speak to you in regard to those things so you will know that this is none other than God that's speaking to me in order that he might do this very thing ultimately bring you into a relationship with himself. For the month of June, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Gospel by Ray Ortland. Are you experiencing the glory of Christ made visible through the beauty of gospel-infused relationships in the church? Well, in his book, The Gospel, Ray Ortland shares a biblical examination of what he calls a gospel culture, a culture that both fosters Christian relationships and is attractive and welcoming to those outside the faith. To develop a biblical understanding of gospel culture, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order the gospel by Ray Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.